evening Australia and hello to the rest of the world. Welcome to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. My name is Meryl Dory and I'd like to welcome you here tonight. I'm just opening up my comments window, which I forgot to do before, so I can see any comments or questions that are coming through. Um, tonight we have a special guest, Ted Steele, and I'll be getting to him in a few minutes. Uh, I just want to let you know that it is, I know I've said this before, but I know that there have been quite a few groups like the AVN that have had their pages taken down by Facebook today. Today, December 1st, Facebook went full on tyrannical and censors. Um, what they have said is that anyone who questions COVID or questions the government's COVID policies will have their pages deleted. So um, it's only a matter of time before the AVN is the same. I am currently on a 30-day ban on Facebook, which doesn't really hurt me because I don't really use Facebook anymore, except for doing under the wire. That's the only reason that I ever come onto Facebook. The AVN has a very active Telegram channel. We are on Gab. Um, we are also on Twitter and Instagram for now. Instagram is owned by Facebook, so we may not last there for too much longer either. So what I've done is I've sort of co-opted Ted Steele's post. Um, if you look up at the very top of the post, uh, you will see that I have added a lot of information. I hope that Ted won't mind. I don't think he will. He's not that kind of person. So um, I just put a lot of information there. Because I am banned, I can't really do posts. So I've just added it to this one. Um, and I want to very briefly, and I mean very briefly, go over a few things that are important um, before we get started. Hi, Stuart from Melbourne. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it looks like that Melbourne bill that everybody's been trying to kill was passed because that guy Barton um, folded. And even though there are supposedly uh, amendments made to the bill, yeah, brand new tube doesn't allow you to stream. That's the problem. But what I wanted to say is if you look at the top of this post, you'll see a lot of links. One of them, um, let me just scroll down because I took a copy of it. Uh, is you can find Under the Wire and our Vaxxed Bus interviews at, and the first link there is Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E. That is a live streaming platform with absolutely no censorship. We've been streaming there for a few weeks, and it works beautifully. So what I've done is I've put all of these links, Odyssey, Rumble, BitChute, Brighteon, and a link to where you can find all of our podcasts. Can I please ask everyone, copy those links right now. Share them everywhere you possibly can. Brighteon, I was unable to share. I forgot. Uh, Facebook does not allow linking to any Brighteon page. Um, but if you go to brighteon.com and just look for AVN Choice, you will find us. So on top of the, you know, at the very top of where I'm talking now, it, you'll see the picture of Ted Steele, I think, and then at the very top, you will see um, a post that is the show notes. So it's in there. All of that's in there. Hopefully you find it. Um, so please copy all of those links 
and save them and share them because it's only a matter of time before we're gone from here. I'm absolutely amazed we're not gone already. So um, I want to ask everyone to help us out by doing that. That would be great. Now, there was a call out from uh, Tristan Van Rye, Tricky, from the People's Revolution. I've copied this from Reignite Democracy's uh, latest newsletter. Uh, it's wonderful the way all the groups are working together right now. I believe that the People's Revolution has been knocked off of Facebook, and I know for sure that Reignite Democracy has. So um, what's happened is that Queensland, uh, the 17th of this month, is Apartheid Day, and uh, they are basically going to be um, you know, separating people. If you're double jabbed, then you get to do certain things. If you are not double jabbed, then you can't. Kaz, do you see any text at the top? Like if you scroll to the top, I have to open it up on my iPad, but I think if you scroll to the top, you should see uh, text and that's, that's where it is. The first line says, this is a call out from the people's revolution. So hopefully you'll be able to see that. Um, so what I'm just going to read this to you to all Queenslanders make this your priority. We have been informed by our local council that the Queensland government is currently taking a survey from every Queensland council to see how many people are contacting their council to object to the 1712 mandate, not yet law. Now, many of you have heard that Yapoon um, has said that they're not going to abide by the mandate, and I believe there are four other councils who have said the same thing. Gold Coast is looking at it. Michelle Marr has organized a meeting and I think she's got over 1,200 people already wanting to go. Oh, okay, good. Oh, maybe not on the phone. Lisa, did you say you can see it or you cannot see it? I'd love to know. Um, so this is the mandate that's coming in. They have not let the people know, so the survey will show no or minimal objection. They are such sneaky bastards. You can either contact your council directly or click on the link below and fill in your details. The link is on the posts um, that I've linked to at the top of this um, post. Oh, geez. All right, guys, what I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I will try and get the the links to um, the actual, I won't be able to do it until I put, <laughs> all right, I have no idea what it is. I can see it on mine, so I don't know why you can't see it on yours, but it's one of the wonderful reasons why I love fake books so much. Um, I'm just going to go and look at the page. So I'll just finish reading this. Uh, it takes 30 seconds to complete the form. Share this with every Queenslander you know who objects to segregation and the actions of our current government. Now the door is open to act and get choice and freedom back in our country. Please take this seriously. We have been involved in the proceedings up here and it takes persistent fighting. And that's for sure. It really does take persistent fighting. Um, okay, I've, that's interesting. Okay, I see my post that I'm on right now live and okay, I have no idea. They have not taken the edit. This is just ridiculous. I can't put it in the comments because I'm on a 30-day ban. I may be able to try and log in with someone else's account. Um, and I'll try that once Ted Steele is on. It's a pre-record. So while 
that pre-record is going, I will try and po post it into the comments. Very frustrating, but um, yeah, I will try my best. So, uh, so that was a call out from the People's Revolution. If you want to find it, I will try very hard to do it. Um, some good news today. There was a very big win in the United States. A federal court temporarily blocked COVID vaccine mandates for health workers in 10 states. Oh, Alfie, thank you so much. Alfie says he, um, he thinks he may have found it. If so, if you could share it, that would be fabulous. So um, I have put a link to the Children's Health Defense Report on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I will try. Hopefully Alfie's got it. Oh, thank you. Paula Hamer has just shared the link to that might be a different one. That might be a different petition. Um, that is a, that is Pauline Hansen's One Nation petition against the mandates. What what Tristan has shared for the People's Revolution is actually the survey that the uh, state is running to find out if people object to apartheid, and um, that's really important for everyone in Queensland to fill in. Um, Last thing is that the AVN is running a fundraiser for our judicial review. We are hoping to be in court in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I've put in the link, but it's givesendgo.com forward slash AVN judicial review fund. If people have a dollar or two dollars or five dollars uh, to share, that would be fantastic. Oh, Paulina, Pauline, sorry. Um, here is a copy of the one for the council. Excellent. So Pauline has shared the link to the People's Revolution one that I was just talking about. If you are in Queensland, please fill this out and please share it with everyone you know in Queensland. They need tens of thousands of people to fill these surveys in and to get them returned. We really and truly need to get that done ASAP. Um, while I'm speaking with Ted, I'm going to try and log in as someone else so that I can actually respond to your questions and share the rest of the links. But I'd really appreciate it uh, if everyone can share that People's Revolution link, can share our uh, Judicial Review fundraiser. Why am I not surprised, Paula? That's just amazing. Um, <laughs> Facebook loves us so very much. And please, please, please make a note of all of the links where Under the Wire can be found because the talk clock is ticking and there's only a certain amount of time we have left on this platform. Odyssey is going to be the platform where we're going to be live streaming. It's brilliant um, and it's easy to use. I tried Rumble. I know, Joe Bear, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but they listen anyway, so what are you going to do? And um, I've tried Rumble for live streaming. It just doesn't work, and it costs $100 U.S. a month. Odyssey is virtually free. We do give them um, these cryptocurrency things, uh, which is fantastic, but uh, it's, it's basically free for us to use it and free for you to watch it. So um, Odyssey is going to be the live streaming platform, BitChute, Rumble, and Brighteon is the um is the platform i will share if i can if i can get online zali uh under that other account i will share the telegram link um for you so that you will have it uh I, i'm gonna have to share them renee for some reason facebook hasn't saved them even though i 
uh, updated it, but I'll share it once Dr. Steele is on and I'll share it several times. But what I need you to do is to actually, you know, you're right. Try taking a photo. Why didn't I think of that? That's brilliant. Um, that way I can get the, but it means you have to type all the links in, but um, if you click reply on my post, the link will then show for you. The thing is I can't, I can only do that. I can't reply here. Um, so I have to reply once I'm off of Ecamm Live. It's just the way it works. So sorry, Paula. I appreciate it. But I will. I will log in and try and do it from the other. Yeah, exactly, Joe Bear. I agree with you 100%. Screw Facebook anyway. Um, I, before I get to Ted Steele, I do want to ask how many of you have heard of the new symptomless variants that the whole world is going to lock down Christmas over. Um, it's called Omicron. Omicron. And if you um, turn Omicron, you know, switch the letters around in Omicron, you get moronic. I think the governments of the world are trolling us quietly. I think they are trolling us because First of all, it's a symptomless variant. We already have four cases in Australia. How did we get the test kit for it? Um, we just use the regular test kit and we're calling it Omicron, just like we used the regular test kit and called it Delta or Mu or all of the other um, scariants that we've had. Please do not buy into this scare tactic. Please do not be fooled for the hundredth time. Uh, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me a hundred times and I am moronic. So um, please tell your friends, tell your family, ask them to think about this. It is a symptomless variant we're being told and yet we have to be terrified about it spreading. If it's symptomless, then I don't think we have anything to worry about. Um, it's, it's, it is moronic. It's absolutely moronic. So let's try and be the calm voice of reason for everyone in the community when it comes to these variants. <laughs> I am a con. I like that, Tish. Um, and, and from what I understand also, Omicron, it may have been spelled slightly differently, but Omicron was one of the characters in the Transformers I read. So, um, you know, they're just, they're, it's, it's probably these 20-year-old kids living in their father's basement and mother's basement who are just making up names uh, so that people can actually be trolled. Omicron plus Delta equals media control. Wow. Who has time to figure that out? That's amazing. <laughs> so uh, it's either moronic on its own, or if you add the two of them together, you've got media control. Makes sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, they are working their way through the Greek alphabet. Yes, but Omicron's not a letter of the Greek, Greek alphabet. Omega is, but not Omicron. So it's just one of those things. Now, I'm going to go to Ted Steele in a minute. I'm just letting you know that on Sunday night, I have the last under the wire for this season. And that is an interview with one of my old friends, a wonderful, wonderful um, person, a wonderful activist, someone who has uh, spent much of the last 40 years uh, helping others who are being censored and suppressed. And he helped me. 
and the AVN as well. And his name is Dr. Brian Martin. And I'm so glad that we're ending the season with him. I will be doing live streams over the Christmas break, most likely, because I can't really see that any of this is going to slow down or stop. And I think there's going to be information that needs getting out. But there won't be any more Under the Wire interviews until next year. Um, so my last Under the Wire interview is this Sunday night. And then after that, we will just have shows as the need arises. So I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, and without further ado, I'm just going to talk to you about Dr. Ted Steele. Um, Dr. Steele is a molecular immunologist. I had to remember exactly what his, what his title is. Um, and he has spent a very long time researching things like reverse transcription, which is very appropriate for what we're seeing now with the messenger RNA vaccines. And messenger RNA itself is something that he has written widely about as well. Now, I tell you that Under the Wire is your home for censored and suppressed information. And what Dr. Steele is going to talk about in part of his interview that was done a short time ago um, is probably going to um, not resonate with some of you. And I don't necessarily agree with everything he has to say, but he is a scientist. He is someone who believes strongly in freedom of speech, as do I, and I know as do you. So everyone has a right to their opinion. Everyone has a right to speak their truth. And who knows what the actual truth is? I certainly don't, and I don't think any of us do. So, um, so. I, is that true? Sorry. Debbie said that Omicron is the 15th letter of the Greek alphabet. I didn't think it was a letter of the alphabet. Anyway, I'm going to look that one up. That's interesting. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Ted Steele, and I hope you enjoy the talk, and I will try to get on and so I can answer questions and share this information as well. Thank you. Good evening, Dr. Steele, and welcome to Under the Wire. Thank you so much for joining us here. I appreciate it. Um, now, if you want to just give our viewers a little background on what your degree is in, what you've been studying for the last 50 years, and, and why you've arrived at this area where you're um, starting to release information about the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, that would be fantastic, just as a bit of background. Thank you very much for no inviting worries. me, Carol. Uh, um, yes, to, to, to be as brief as possible, over the last, uh, over the last uh, 50 years, I got my PhD in microbiology and immunology between 1971 and 75. And in that period, I worked on mucosal secretory IgA immunity by purifying the antibodies and the mechanism. That is, that's the immunity that protects the mouth to get the respiratory tract, the gastrointestinal tract. It is the type of immunity that needs to be activated against any type of local or respiratory infection or gastrointestinal infection. And it's quite different to the immunity that's induced by jab in the arm. They're quite separate systems. That's unfortunately hasn't been made clear over the last year or two. I then went on to work very much on um, uh, working, uh, so after my PhD, I worked on Lamarckian mechanisms of acquired inheritance. In short, the inheritance of acquired characteristics. 
that was uh, it was just after my PhD. I started it in in Canada, and that uh, that work obviously was very controversial because it talked about the genetic penetration of the Weissman barrier that protects the, uh, our germ cells from any changes, genetic changes going on in the body. Now, it seemed to me at the time as a young man that all of the mechanisms were in place, all the theoretical uh, analysis was available and it was, there was no reason to no longer say it couldn't happen. On, on, on evidence and theoretical grounds, it could. So I published a book back then in the late 1980s called Somatic Selection and Adaptive Evolution. I then published experiments with Dr. Reg Gorzinski at the Ontario Cancer Institute in Toronto. This led to considerable controversy and, uh, and claims by a group that I joined that they couldn't repeat the experiments. That was, um, that was the group of Sir Peter Medawar who won the Nobel Prize in the early 1960s. And of course, you can imagine it was, a, since he was from the other camp, but generously allowed me to come to his lab to help in the confirmation of their of our experiments. Of course, it was a highly politicised situation. It turned out that when they finally published their reputation, it was like the Weissman barrier. It was full of holes and it was porous. And I just literally, in public, on New Scientist and in subsequent papers, just took it apart. Now, I didn't win any friends by doing that, but I stood by it. And our, my, my work then continued through the 80s, 90s, 2000s to the present, and it went through a number of stages. I, I spent many years as a visiting fellow at the John Curtin School of Medical Research in Canberra after securing a lectureship at, uh, at, the, at the University of Wollongong in uh, 1985. And in those years with Professor Bob Blandon, Dr. Harry Rosenflew, and a few others, uh, Dr. Jerry Both at the CSIRO, we did a whole range of experiments mapping out the molecular mechanisms for the, for the process. Now, to cut, a, to cut a long story short, all of these all these acquired inheritance transgenerational effects now are being verified, have been verified multiple times by other, other people. The genetic component has been still a bit problematical because of the, the hesitancy to fully grasp the molecular mechanism, the RNA to DNA step occurring, you know, quite, um, uh, promiscuously through the body and in and in the and in the germline. Now, all I can say now is that we've just got through one of my students, former students, Dr. Andrew Franklin, we've just got a major review of all our experimental data, and in that on that particular topic, and the um, uh, and the verification by two other groups of workers, it's quite independent of us. So that means it's you know it will now be believed. Yep. And, we've, uh, and we've reviewed all that evidence and it's just in press now in Trends and Genetics. The next issue of Trends and Genetics, it will be out. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because for the first time in many, many years, I'm, I'm publishing in a high-impact journal. Congratulations. That's brilliant work. Your, your story of fighting against the orthodoxy in science is sadly way too common, absolutely mm. too common. And um, the... The way in which science fights scientists who are putting out opposing viewpoints is often very unfair and, and career-destroying. Um, but, you know, it, it's one that congratulations on continuing to fight and persisting um, in, in yeah, your and look, research. And look, 
thank you. Look, I didn't say why I'm involved in COVID. Well, in 2015, many of the, those battles I described were over, and I was, uh, and I was getting a lot of interest in the origin of life and the evolution of life in the universe. And I joined with Professor Chandra Wickramasinghe in at Cardiff, uh, who, with Sir Fred Hoyle, over the previous 40 or 50 years, had had accumulated all the evidence for an extensive cosmic biology in, in the universe. I was always entranced by that work because I could see that the evidence was just rock solid. So I joined with them, read all the books, got in familiar with all the major um, um, evidence that they'd, that they'd arranged by them and others, aware of the critics. The major critic was NASA, who was smearing them. That's all. They were just smear, smearing them. Mm -hmm. there, was no, there was no scientific argument against what they'd discovered. They just smeared them. And then they claimed they were still looking for life in the universe. Now, the next, but finally, let me, let me just say this. Sure. That, uh, that, that when COVID struck, I had already had three or four years of deep immersion in all the data. So when I was, on, when, when I was speaking on Skype in mid-January uh, 2020, and we said, what, what's going on in China? We knew what had happened. It was a strike from a meteorite strike from space or some way, and, those, and you know, a life-bearing meteorite or meteor right particles had literally blanketed China and it caused this massive eruptions of epidemics. But it then took us, so, so from that day on, it was mid-January, I've been on I've been on the COVID case 24-7 for the past 20 odd months and we've published a whole series of papers which you can see at my website that I've got and in the, the main paper that I've, I've sent you exploding all, all of the myths on COVID, all of those main papers are cited there anyway. Okay, so. So, so, so that's how I got involved in it, yeah. So your, your research has shown you that um, COVID, is it viral in origin? It's viral. It no is question viral. Um, yeah. and, and has a virus been isolated or yes, purified? Yeah. Yes, this question always comes up because there's been so much confusion and noise, white noise. It's, it's confused so many people that all sorts of minor conspiracy theories you know, have radiated out from the, from the evidence. But uh, the virus exists. Every major country, when the epidemics were appearing during the first three months of, uh, of 2020, the first isolate was definitely isolated, cultured in vero cells or other permissive cells, fully characterised, electron microscopy, all immuno immunology, everything, the genome sequence, the whole bit. And everything could cross-confirm with previous isolates that were occurring about the same time in other parts of the world. So let me say this, the virus exists and it has been isolated. The trouble is when you're doing mass screening, you can't go through a process like that. That takes weeks to do that work. So the genomic sequence, which by the way, the Chinese pr provided to the world, as well as the, as the PCR tests, it's very important to talk about what the Chinese did in those first few months, because they've been totally demonized now. But yeah. in those first few months, they got the, the sequence for the world. They got the, the PCR test. One of our scientists in Australia, Professor Ed Holmes, I noticed just got the Prime Minister's Prize for science for helping to get that sequence. Uh, I've got a few issues with Ed Holmes, but not on all their basic work he did. But the, the, point I, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that the virus does exist. The essay works. It's got to be used properly. The PCR test has been abused. No question about it. And I can talk about that, why it's, and how it's been abused. Yep. But the genomic sequence is a definitive, is a definitive bit of evidence for isolation of the virus. I, I have to defend that. Because none of our analysis through the first three months and subsequent could have made any sense if there was something wrong with those with those sequences. 
you see, but sorry, but it had to be that, you see, it had to be first of all, mass screening with PCR, then mass sequencing by sequencing, which is more expensive, but can also be done on a mass scale. So you just couldn't isolate the virus every single time. Now, uh, a, a good pathologist in a lab where we've got patients that have really got florid infections with a, would want to get the virus out. I know that, and that's what everyone's worried about. But all of the tests to monitor the growth of the virus are pretty robust, but you can't abuse them. That's so the problem. how are they being abused? Tell me right. that. Right, how they're being abused. The PCR test was designed by, you know, invented, well, discovered by, well, designed and invented by Kerry B. Mullis, uh, you know, in, in the 80s. We've heard a lot about Kerry. He's been very critical of his tests being used for COVID. Uh, the PCR test, without going into the biochemical details, is a is an amplification process that if for example if you have if you have one copy of the of the virus particle in in your nose and and, and you take a swab and you've made a very small concentration of that uh, of that swab and then you crack the virus open and then you and then you try and detect whether the virus sequence is there well let's just suppose we've got we've got we've got 10 virus particles let's make it easy 10 virus particles what, 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 what the PCR test does, it amplifies the sequence of a specific region in the virus, which is well-defined and characterised, and, and the amplification is a two-fold series. So if you, start with, if you start with one sequence and you make a copy that you get two, then you make a copy of each of those and you get four. So you have a 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024 amplification sequence. Now you notice that my last number I gave you is 1,024. Right. So that's so for one sequence, after 10 cycles of this amplification, you've got a thousand. Now if you go another 10 cycles, you've got a million. A thousand times a thousand is a million. So it's an extremely powerful technique. It's used throughout molecular biology, biotechnology, drug. Everybody uses the PCR. I used it all my years in analysing antibody diversity and the mechanism I just described to you. Yeah. We used it. Now, <clears throat> these are the pitfalls of it. It's incredibly sensitive, okay? And really sensible labs, PCR labs, keep out contamination. It will pick up contaminants just like that. So you've got to keep out, they're specially designed labs with airflows going, you know, to prevent any. Yep. Secondly, you've got to have all your sterile equipment, everything's got to be sterile. And then you have your series of controls, tests at the same time as you're doing your detection test. And those control tests tell you whether you've had some contamination or whether you're over-amplifying. Because you see, if you amplify, if you start off with 10 copies and amplify it to 30 to 40 cycles, it's known in the PCR that you will amplify anything. Okay? People, and experts know that. So you've got to know what the... So all those controls are crucial. And if those controls don't stand up, then you've got a problem with your, with your, with your test. Now I don't know whether that's I don't know whether that's going on in all these medical labs in Australia or elsewhere in the world. I just don't know. But but any any sensible lab would have that first set of strict strict controls. But the biggest problem I have with it is the failure to give us information. Let me describe the nature of that information. Let me give give an, an, an analogy first. When we get a blood test and we're just worried about our diabetes level, we have a, a glucose range and we have then we get the glucose level high or low or even really high. And we get a, the pathology report comes back and says, normal, healthy, or hypo, that is low, or 
mild diabetes, not just above, or severe diabetes, really above, right? Yep. So that's really informative to the doctor, isn't it? And to everybody. It is, yeah. Yeah, really informative. Now, now the PCR test uh, should have the same information attached to it. When you get a positive PCR test, we should have cycle number attached to the test. It's not being done. <laughs> no. Now, that cycle number is important because, you see, let me just take Victoria as an example because I can see it in action here. I can see we have a massive numbers of cases that are going down, hardly any deaths. And I'll, I'll deal with the deaths later. I think they, first of all, I think they're getting a bit better at looking after the patients and not locking them up and killing them like they did last year. But, yeah. I, but, 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 but let me just get to that high number of why are there so many cases? Because people, the average person in the population, can't, well, a lot of them. Well, first of all, that's another issue. A lot of people don't even know how they how they, how they got it. That's that's a mystery case problem what we've, what we've published on. But. My, my estimate is that more than 95% of all those cases could be higher uh, in the following categories of PCR cycle number. You see, you notice when I was giving you the... The exponential, the, yeah. Yeah, the exponential series. Hmm. To get to a million, you had to go a lot of cycles, right? So to, to amplify from a very small number of viruses, like, say, fragments of the virus in a person that's recovered, or just a very mild transient infection in a person that's recovered, you would have to amplify a very high cycle number of PCR to see the signal yeah. on your machine, yeah. right? So all high cycle PCR numbers are either uh, recovered, uh, really subclinical, asymptomatic, and, and, and just not serious. They're just positive, right? Well, but for the virus, they, they, they've clearly had it, but they're getting rid of it. They're controlling the virus because most healthy people, it's another issue that I understand a lot because we've published on this, uh, most healthy people get rid of the virus. I would say 99% of people get rid of the virus, honestly, by the innate immune response. But anyway, it's the PCR test we're talking about. So all high cycle numbers, and I, because I, I'm not in the labs working, and I don't know what New, they're actually... New South doing. Wales is cycling at 45 cycles. Sometimes oh, as low as high. 40. Sometimes as low as 40, but 40 is the absolute lowest. Well, that's far too high. Yes, it that's is. That's far too high. No, that's far, sorry. That is far too high because in our hands, when we were doing 40, we used to get all the artifacts that we were trying to sort out. You know, look, but that's just far. So that's, so that's ridiculous. Well, that, that confirms what I'm, just, what I'm saying. My my bet is that the great majority of these cases are these recovered, asymptomatic, subclinical, and very mild cases of all, and therefore they'd have high, high, high PCR cycle numbers. But in a patient that's going through a florid infection, and let's get real now, the main patients that are, uh, are suffering is a very, very small, we know, a very small fraction of elderly yeah. comorbid and anyone else with comorbids where they have crippled innate immune responses. Because, yep. you know, they have to be old to have a crippled uh, innate immune response. There's a number of other reasons why it could be crippled. But in those sort of patients, the virus uh, just goes replicates uncontrollably. So the PCR cycle number there will be very low. You, you just suppose that you have, you know, 10,000 virus particles that are, are replicating and you and then you then you just go to say ten cycles, ten thousand another ten cycles. That gives you uh, ten million particles. That that gives you ten million copies. You see what I mean? It'll yep, really so light up on your So you'll pick it up screen. easily. So you see what I mean? So I the PCR cycle number has to be appended to all positive tests. 
I, 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 my bet isn't you've got the third bet. I didn't know that number. Mm. Uh, my bet is most of them are high cycle number positives, which means that they're just not serious. We don't, what we're trying to do is eliminate the common cold, quite, quite, quite frankly, and we've been doing it from day one. And the Chinese knew that too, by the way. Yep. They didn't have as clear numbers as we have. It was clear in New York as well when it exploded in New York and we've published on this. But the thing is that the, the, the fraction of the vulnerable is a very small part, portion of the total exposed population. Can you and, 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 we've, and we've been, we're literally destroying our societies. We're destroying people's yes, health because of all are. the unattended un, un, uh, health conditions, locking people up. In Victoria, it's now it's greater than Wuhan, longer than any other city in the world. It's just an, if I sound a little bit uh, upset by it because I've had to live through it here in Victoria I, and watch the yeah. un, unfolding, you know, before my eyes. But it's horrendous, anyway. absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Let me yeah. ask you: Can you see any scientific point, any reasonable point in testing asymptomatic people for this virus? Well, no, as, as, as a first step in this mass screening, no, of course not. In the old days, you, you would only send a test to the path lab if you had someone with symptoms. So why do you think they are testing asymptomatic people oh. using a test at such a high cycle rate? Is it to manufacture an epidemic or? Oh, they've certainly done that. They've certainly done that. And you see the way they talk about the numbers. They've stopped doing it now, by the way. They're actually, they're actually withholding information here. Have you noticed? They've stopped. I think to some of them realise, but yeah, I don't know why. It's all tied with, it's tied up with a morass of lockstep morass, by the way, as you can mm -hmm. probably see between big government, big medicine, big pharma, and big media. Yep. For some reason, they're all locked into this nonsense. And they are, they've got a, they've had a, a herd stampeding now for two years, they are controlling the herd. By the way, everyone involved, many, many of the people in, you know, enveloped in the herd are stampeding blindly. The leaders in the herd don't know where they're going because that's clear, that's a clear biological phenomenon. You just have to watch the, the wildebeests in Africa. You know, when you get a herd of 500 wildebeests stampeded by hyenas or lions, they just, they sort of like herders, they, they herd them, herd them. They travel at 50 miles an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, they run for half an hour, then they stop exhausted. They either they either get they hit a river where they get devoured by crocodiles and drown, or they go over a cliff, or they just stop because they're exhausted. And the uh, uh, hyenas and lions and wild dogs they just come in and pick off the, 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 the food they want. Now it's a very crude <clears throat> biological analogy, but it's just exactly what's mm -hmm. happened to the human race right now. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it. So that that group that I've named as being the primary people that have got a lot to explain in, in a Nuremberg-type investigation when this is all over. I'm praying they, that'll they, happen. <laughs> they, 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 were the, they were the drivers and the herders of mm. this stampede. Now, I'd like to... And a lot of people got a, little, got, a, got a lot out of it. Power, money, influence. All of that. All of that. All and, and Dan Andrews in Victoria is trying to get more and more. He's trying to pass this yeah. bill that will give him basically unlimited power to be yes. the dictator of Victoria. Um, hopefully yes. he won't pass that. I do want to ask another question with your experience in biology and it's concerning the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, yeah. Do you believe that Koch's postulates must be satisfied in order to prove the pathogenicity of a oh. virus? <laughs> in a normal world, obviously. 
Yes. But that actually stopped a long time ago, even in medicine, in Cox postulates, because once you see the whole philosophy that once you've identified it and you've got a standard organism and you've already established its association, you no longer do that on a mass scale. It all comes back to the scale. You know, but, but has uh, it been done at all, even on an individual basis? Well, I don't know. I don't think it has. I, no. I, I, probably not. Probably not in the case of uh, COVID. No. No. Uh, so. No. No. But so the answer to your question is no, it hasn't. But there are all sorts of reasons which, in normal times, why it wouldn't be. You know, <laughs> you know, when we when we get other diagnoses for, through a past report of other infections, uh, you know, through symptoms, as you say. That may very well happen. You know, the lab will then want to grow out the responsible organism. They may not then reintroduce it into a, another person to really satisfy Cox, but they'll at least get that far down the line. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yes, yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that that's an important thing to do. Um, there are people uh, in at least part of the trial, I know Pfizer did this, and I think Oxford did it as well, where they took individual volunteers and they supposedly infected them with SARS-CoV-2 to see what the outcome would have been. And that has never been published. That would have been the closest proof of Koch's postulates. It is it completely would. unethical, but it is what they've done, and they haven't published the results. So it makes me wonder. Well, you know, you're aware of all the other information circulating on various whistleblowers from Pfizer, all the companies, the mm -hmm. lack of proper information, the, the incorrect or inappropriate tabulation of adverse events. Uh, Peter McCullough, Dr. Rose, uh, sorry, Jessica Rose. Uh, you know, there's so much, there are so many um, analyses of standard FDA, CDC and uh, TGA data that um, none of that comes up. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of information is being suppressed. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with you. Look, sure. look our story. Our story has got out a little bit into a, in, got into the science up to a point in some of the scientific literature, not all of it, uh, but we're being actively suppressed. And when I use li big media, uh, the major, the major media orga organisation, because it has it had the highest credibility quotient before COVID, the major one is News is, is Murdoch's News Limited. Mm. They have they have I'll just tell you a story. They have. Um, actively suppress this story that you know of our our space arrival of the, of the virus this the story from day one through not only australia but through the sin news of all their other organizations through fox news i just can't penetrate fox news wall street journal the times of london everything is being actively suppressed all those involved in it know it's being suppressed but will not come come clean with me that they're being told they cannot give me any oxygen at all. Now well, the Murdoch family is deeply vested in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. Yes, right. Well, that, that's, well, that's, that's the reason. Look, the first week, uh, the first week when Chandra and I had clearly worked it out by the, between the middle of January, the end of January, that we were dealing with a strike, meteorite strike. We were dealing with a massive uh, new, defined in this case, strike of virus particles from a carbonaceous like meteorite, a life you know, over over China. When we when we knew that, we wrote the first draft of the story and we we've got to alert the world. You know, like, you know you innocently think you've got to alert the world. 
So we set the story to the Australian newspaper. I, I, because I, 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 mis, I was under the misbelief that they were fair and balanced. I spent the first week with John Lehman, the editor, describing it all. And it was blowing his mind, obviously. And he wanted you know, more evidence, more facts. And I could, something happened. He said, he said, look, I'm going to hand it over to our health writer, Natasha Robinson. She'll handle it. I said, well, look, you've got to understand, it's what I just told you a little bit earlier, maybe. That if you do, a, if you peer review me in the Australian biomedical system, just mention my name in any of the circles of immunology, vaccines, microbiology, any area of biology in Australia, you will get a damning assessment of me. So you can't peer review me. The Australians just got to ventilate the story, have it as an alternative story out there, explanation to be in the mix of public discussion. He agreed with me. It did. He agreed. Yes, that's what's got to happen. <laughs> Right. And, 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 and then he handed it to her. You know what she did? I told her that too, by the way. I said, look, you don't, you don't peer review me because I, I, I know what they're going to say. And she got back within two days and had the height to tell me, to echo what I told her. Yeah, we're not publishing your work because no one agrees with you. <laughs> well, you know. So, you know, look, I'm... So, I've got to be in my bonnet with news because I used to enjoy the paper for many years because it, it did have, it was balanced. Even though you may not agree with a lot of the stuff that was appearing there, it had a balance to it. Yes. It stopped in our case. That, there's been a wall of silence around it. That's why hardly anyone's heard of what we're doing. They, they call it false balance, Dr. Steele, and it's what has stopped them from reporting on our issue as well, on the issue of vaccine injury and yeah. vaccine ineffectiveness. Oh, yeah. They're not talking about that either, no, are they? No, not at all. And they haven't been since Terrible. the 1990s. So that was, I think, the time before the 1990s. The media yes. was at least trying to give some balance, trying to inform yeah, they I, were the I, fifth I, estate. I agree with you. Sometimes during the 1980s, it all changed. And I agree, agree with Judy Weilerman's assessment. That was also when the, you know, that they, you couldn't, uh, you know, what was the, the issue with the legal position on indemnity with pharmaceutical companies and vaccines? Um, oh, anyway. it, in the United States, they're completely indemnified. In Australia, it's only COVID that's indemnified, the COVID jabs. Yeah, they, but, they can't but, be sued. But, yeah, so that's right. And so that's so. Yeah, yeah. The the corruption, the corruption in science and biomedical science. The transition occurred during the nineteen eighties because I I can remember experience. That's why I was fighting so hard against John Dawkins and Ken McKinnon at the University of Wollongong because I was right in the front line of the of the further push to totally dumb down science in Australia. And that's what effectively happened yeah. because. With those, with those decisions in the late 80s, you know what happened? A whole lot of people who in their wildest dreams should never, never have been called professor suddenly became professors. There were Mickey Mouse professors running over all Australian universities. It totally corrupted standards. No wonder a decade later I was caught out as a whistleblower when the standards had fallen through the floor. I said, no, that's wrong. You see? Yep, for sure. And it was totally tolerated by them. It was totally tolerated that, oh, you give it, oh, if they're paying for the degree, then you give them the mark that's necessary to give them a the degree. And you may have been one of the first, but I know that academic well, freedom... Well, I was the first, actually. Look, yeah. I don't want to blow my time, but I was the first. Yep. Academic the freedom fact. in Australia has gone completely... Yeah, it died the day they sacked me. They don't yeah. realise that, Red, the precedent mm -hmm. was set was set with me. 
Now, again, I don't trumpet this very much, but I know it was because I was in the newspapers, as you might recall, every day for almost a year back yeah. then. Now, I, I, I was fighting, I said, I was fighting the union, the university and the media. Now, why would I be fighting those three? Well, the union wanted, wanted to put me on a slow boat to China because I was a big problem for them because I disagreed with a lot of their totalitarian attitudes within the union and I was very public about it. Yeah. So, but the, you know, to his full credit, Kim Carr saw the problem in 1981. I don't know how he thinks about it now, but he rang me personally. Kim Carr, the oh, Labor Senator. A Labor Senator, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Labor Senator, Kim Carr, the Labor Senator, rang me. It was just a personal warning to me. This was before I was sacked. So he knew it was coming. This was about three weeks before I was sacked. He said, look, he was, he, was, he was chairing the Senate Committee into Standards in Higher Education. He said, look, you've got to understand, Ted, you're in grave danger. That's what he said to me. Second, he said, you've got to get yourself back in the union because whatever you might think of the union, they're the only ones that are going to save you. Well, I took his advice. This is mm. over 20 years. I got back in the union. Ken McKinnon, uh, sorry, uh, Jared Sutton, the vice chancellor of the university, didn't know that that had happened. All he, all he knew was that I'd left the union in a blaze of publicity. Right? So he knew I was vulnerable on that front. But Kim Carr gave me that advice. That allowed me, it didn't allow me to win easily, but it allowed me two years later to win in the, in the uh, federal court. I finally won. Yes, and I but read I that to, in... I read no. that in that decision, they said that the university had given you fewer rights than a murderer would have had at their trial. Exactly, exactly. And May Wan Ho, by the way, was a strong supporter. She was mm. fully active back there. She was pushing that out. Anyway, the point, the point, the point of the story is that um, that you know those those corruption processes through the 80s and 90s, I was just ensnared at the end point when it was thoroughly traduced. By then, all standards had collapsed, so it was easy to go for someone like me. Mm. He said, "Look, that's not right. You can't do it." You see, in my case, it was just honour students' PhDs. And the grading was too big, you know, unsuitable to go on and get a PhD scholarship or go on to get a higher, another higher degree. But, you know, probably enough, but it's even less than that because one of my external examiners wouldn't give a mark. He, he thought it was so bad. And they never reported that. That only, that only came out in my affidavit. Right. But the point I'm trying to make is that uh, they were trying to infect the ranks of PhDs as slave labour for the various labs in the, you know, that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's which, dumbing which, which, down which... science. I mean, PhDs yeah. are the best and the brightest, the ones Absolutely. that do the most uh, research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's right. I say that as that a mother of it. a PhD, so. <laughs> Only those that can do it should be doing it. Yes, that's right. right? Exactly right. There's no way so standards that's how should it was be lowered. Out. You yeah. see, it wasn't masses numbers of students. It is now, it's masses. Mm. But it was my particular experience in that case and watching the members of my department acquiesce to this was just something that really made me angry. See, they, they'd already thought I was a bit outspoken on a number of others. So this, this is one way of getting Ted, right? You know, override all these decisions and override the decisions of the external examiners. Let me ask you so something, it, if yeah. I can. Um, the, what you're talking about now, how there was this cowardice in the people mm. who knew that something was going on that was wrong, but they were afraid to speak out for fear of affecting their careers yeah. or their livelihoods, yeah. whatever. 
I see that now in the medical profession because oh. there are a large number of doctors who are seeing what I'm seeing, which is just, you know, generalized death and disability from these jabs, yes. and they are not speaking out. Do you think there is anything on, on God's good earth that will make them decide that they care more about their Hippocratic oath than they do about their back pocket? I, can't, I don't know. I can't solve it. I do know that Dr. Peter Johnson here in Victoria did the right thing. He just resigned. It was just too much for him. Who is he? I haven't heard that story. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah look, I will make a note. I'll, I'll send his little interview. Send Peter Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. And I know that a doctor in Victoria was just raided because he was giving. Yeah, I, I know him. I don't know him personally, but yeah. I've, I've, had, I've dealt with him. <laughs> yeah. And now he's been raided. So I'm now on the hit list because yeah. all his records were taken. Well, that's it. And he was raided by the, the department, not Department of Health. He was raided by one of the, the medical organizations. It wasn't the police. It wasn't was the police and they had no warrant and they came in and seized his records, which is totally, it should be totally illegal. And yes, well, you're I, right. His privacy is gone. That's right. And, and your privacy is gone. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how science has devolved, how medicine has devolved to basically the lowest common denominator. And I think that what you're talking about has been ongoing for a very long time. Yes. Um, I want to ask you another question because I don't get to speak with microbiologists and immunologists very often. <laughs> so I'm going to pick your brains if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll do the best I can. All right. You spoke about mucosal immunity and how important that is. Um, I know, and I've been studying this for a very long time, that the only, the only level of immunity that vaccines are meant to, uh, to convey is the immunity from antibodies, antibody-based immunity. And it has been my research that since the 1940s, we have known that antibodies don't really equal immunity. They only equal exposure. And you can have very high levels of antibodies and still be susceptible to infection. So are, have you looked into that issue at all? No, but I'm aware of what you're talking about because mm. it's an intimate part of my, my knowledge. There are two major arms of immunity. There's the antibody immunity and there's the cell-mediated immunity or the, you know, the T cells. Yep. Uh, both of them operate, they actually operate counter-cyclical. When one's dominant, it suppresses the other. When, one, one, when the other one's dominant, it suppresses the other. So there's a very complex way. Uh, Professor Peter, Peter uh, Brecher at the University of Saskatoon has been a major uh, analyst of that, of that phenomena. But, uh, and that's where I, my, in, my intrinsic understanding comes from him. Uh, he, he, when I was doing my postdoc at the John Curtin School in the 70s, he was there, but I read all his papers, but I've also been following it. That's part of, it's part of textbook immunology. So antibodies, yes. The first point is antibodies, are, the simplest thing you could say about it is that they're an indicator of exposure. Of, mm. of, of, um, but the deep immunity depends on other, other mechanisms. Now, certainly T cell, cytotoxic T cell immunity, when it's in full flight, is important to get rid of virus infected cells right gets rid of them like the, the detects the cell is producing you know a viral infection so it kills the cell so that, that kills the virus so it goes around killing off virus infected cells the cytotoxic t cell also does other things as a cancer emerges with new antigens on its surface new 
new, new signals that, you know, I'm not foreign anymore. I've got a mutation, a somatic mutation. The, the cytotoxic T cells kill off those cells. And the body's in a constant tension of war between infections through its uh, T cell arm. So the T cells are really important. And, and, the, um, and the, the arising of new tumours in their small numbers, right? And that if you get them small, the immune system handles it. Later on, when you've got an aggressive cancer, which is tossing up new antigens all the time and mutating and scrambling its genome, it's very hard for the immune system to, to, to get on top of the lot, okay? Yep. So you've got to, so there's a lot of manoeuvres now called checkpoint inhibitors and others to try and shift the balance back to the immune system. That's why some of these successful things with drugs with previously incurable cancers like melanoma are working because they've shifted the balance back to the immune system. So yes, the two arms, there's antibodies and, uh, and mucosal, but when we, uh, and uh, a T cell immunity. And they, and they operate in all theatres of the body, by the way. Yep. But one very important player for mucosal immunity are the antibodies. And, I, and, and the best way to, to describe that is in terms, sorry about that. Uh, do you want me to, no, no I've got no, to leave no. that up. Yeah, no, yeah. please um, no. yeah, uh, the, the best way to, to describe it is that most, you know, most viruses and some early pathogens come in this way through the, the nose, the mouth. Yeah. Uh, I did my PhD on Vibrio cholera, which is the disease of the lower bowel and the diarrhea disease. Principles are the same though for the viruses coming in. And secretory IgA is very different from the, the IgA antibody you see in the blood. That also appears in the blood. But it is, it is a monomer in the blood. In secretory IgA that's in the mucosal secretions, that is a, it's a dimer. And if you look at my videos, I describe it as like a V-shaped dimer. Yep. It's got four antigen binding sites and it's got a V-shape, so it looks like a clamp. Now, the reason I give, you that, I give that sort of physical description is that that's what it basically does. Secretory IgA is a very strongly binding antibody. It binds toxins, it binds viruses, it binds, binds, it ties up the receptors on the surface of bacteria that are trying to, you know, attach to a mucosal cell and literally neutralizes them. So as a frontline defense, mucosal, uh, mucosal immunity is really crucial for respiratory tract and gastrointestinal tract. It's called the local immune system. At one point in its evolution, post my PhD, it was called the gut-associated lymphosystem or, or, or GALT. But the point is it's a key player. Now, that doesn't mean to say that T cell immunity is not operating locally as well, you know, in the glands and lymph nodes that, that line the tract. But secretory IgA is a really important player. And uh, it's and it, it, it's like an antiseptic paint. You know, it actually prevents the things from going or causing any harm in the first place. It just stops them getting into the cell. So the virus just doesn't get into the cell to cause havoc. It just gets neutralized and dispensed off through the system. Like just tied up in a knot. It's hard, you know, you can imagine it being tied up in a knot. That's now, a fabulous explanation. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now, just one, just one more, just one more thing. The antibodies induced in the blood don't induce secretory IgA. Any jab in the arm will not do that. That's my main beef against what's going on with big pharma. But by the way, I'm talking about textbook information. Mm. This, the, all these concepts and people laid down fifty it. years ago. Yep. Fifty years ago, when I was doing my PhD. It's not as if it's unknown, but it's been tossed out the window. Like all that critical knowledge has been just gone. 
Well, Dr. Um, Merrill Chase wrote about that in the 1940s and it's been ignored since then. So, well, yes, yeah. he was one of the pioneers of modern immunology, you're right. He was, yes. So we're making believe that that doesn't happen because financially it would be disastrous and all vaccines would have to stop and our entire knowledge of the human immune system would have to be totally turned around. Um, because oh, it's very distressing to watch this junking. Yeah, this junking. It's sad to say, and I've had to name them, Peter Doherty at the Doherty Institute, John Sharp, President of the Australian Academy of Science. They've been leading the charge for vaccination and they know that it's, well, they should know, this is just rubbish. Yep, absolutely. It, it's like um, Neil Ferguson in the UK. Not oh. one of their predictions, the Doherty Institute, not one of their predictions has no. been shown to be true, oh, and yet they are the experts. Well, the Doherty and Burnett are you know, joined at the hip. They're both the same. And yep. sadly, Burnett has got, you know, has got the name of one of my heroes in immunology. McFarlane Burnett was the founder of modern immunology, and, he's got, and his name is you know, above the, the Institute, yet... I'm certain Burnett would be rolling in his grave watching all this go on now. Yeah, certainly would. Yeah, he was a traditional traditional scientist. This is just the traducing, the traducing, politicisation, dumbing down, and destruction of modern science is just extraordinary. What's happened in the last forty years, and COVID's capped it off. COVID has shown how, you know, how fragile. The whole system has been by having all of its sinews eaten out by all these things we've been talking about, dumbing down uh, the, the peers, you know, act, acting as a howling mob to suppress any alternative ex explanation. All of these things really started gathering momentum in the 1980s big time. They were there before, but kept in check. But now they're out of control. And now they're driven by huge pharmaceutical companies. It's just for biomedical research. Look, let me say this. The credibility of biomedical research mainstream has totally collapsed. Mm. Full but stop. In every 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 area you look at, it's collapsed. The silver lining Sorry. to that is no, that's fine. The silver mm. lining to that is that when you build an entire branch of science on a house of cards, it doesn't take a whole lot to take the whole thing tumbling down. And mm. I think that's where we're headed with this. It doesn't. It may not yes. feel like it at the present time because it does feel a little bit hopeless. But um, I can mm. see the cracks appearing and the cards yeah. are starting well, to crumble. Well, I hope you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Gonna, I think yeah. so. So yeah, I want I really... to. I want to ask you another question about the genetics of this. We spoke earlier very briefly about the reverse transcriptase, the tr the transcription that occurs between the RNA and the DNA. And yeah. I know that these jabs contain um, RNA in the form of yeah. the spike protein. And we have been told by everybody from John Skerritt at the TGA down that there is no way that these spike proteins entering our cells through the ACE2 receptors are going to be able to change our native DNA. Having seen the research that you've done into how our DNA can be changed through environmental um, influences. Do you believe that John Skerritt is right? Uh, no, he's not right. And, and let me, and let me. There's a lot of things we don't know, but just what we do know. I'll just go through what we do know with yes. uh, COVID. Let's just take the virus first itself. There's been a very definitive study uh, in the last few months uh, that's clearly shown that the RNA species of COVID virus during heavily infected patients, right? Where 
that's what they looked at, heavily infected patients. The information from that RNA can be read back in fragments through RNA, you know, reverse transcription, read back in frag fragments to create fusion genes. By that I mean, and this is, this is because this is the way it happens with viruses, they have transcription start sites and, and you can create fusion genes with host cells. By that I mean, your own cells in the body, uh, cells say uh, unrelated to respiratory tract, let's say heart, which is the very common one that looked the myocarditis. It's possible to imagine a reverse transcription of, uh, of um, COVID-19, uh, the infection itself, um, uh, messenger RNAs, being copied back in and creating novel proteins and therefore forms of autoimmunity directed against the heart. But in, in, the, in the case of the expression vesture, we're, we're talking about a totally different beast. We're talking about highly engineered, high expression rate mRNA only for spike, just the spike, not the range of other things. Because in that study I described about COVID, that was the nuclear capsid, because that was the most prominently expressed. That was the one that got ex integrated the most into the genome. That was right. happening both in, in some patients. Uh, well. It's mainly in very small number of cases there, but the, the best uh, most of the evidence in that study with COVID for the copying back in the DNA was done on cell lines, and it was very clear it was happening. And it was happening through a standard reverse transcriptase, not the one we identified, but another one called the line one reverse transcriptase. That was 60% of all integrates were due to that, because you could see the, the integration signature. In the one we've characterized, po DNA polymerase eta, we have to surmise that all the other ones they didn't pick up were due to the enzyme we described. Anyway, the point is, um, uh, with COVID, definitely happens. You get creation of fusion genes with, in, in the host cells. Now, with the mRNA expression vector, it's guaranteed, the way they've set it up, the way it would diffuse out in its, in its uh, lipid-like you know, vesicle particles, it's guaranteed that if it can get into any one of the other cells in the body, Something like that process I've just described for COVID could happen. And um, so all I can say is that the precedent for COVID and the integration is there. For the vaccines, I don't know of that evidence, but it doesn't, would not surprise me at all, given also, everything else I know. Now, we had just haven't left to talking about it, us talking about it to you, but we've actually looked at, uh, we've written a paper on the footprints of past uh, past epidemics in COVID over the last 20,000 years. And we think that that footprint that they see in the genome, in the human genome, is actually related to this RNA to DNA a reverse transcription step that we're talking about now. So it's, it's been going on for thousands of years, these things, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. But with, but, but with, 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 um, with uh, the expression vector vaccine, that's a totally different untested situation. And I can, I can see scenarios where what I've just described could happen with other tissues in the body, just from the vaccination itself. So not only are there things like antibody-dependent enhancement as a risk, that is, particularly a person who gets vaccinated, then gets COVID, they're yep. at risk to having this incredible, you know, Dolores Kale has, has talked about that. Um, but there are all these other things where it could be happening and it could be making, rendering tissues around the body targets for autoimmune disease, that is cytotoxic T-cells and antibodies, which are inadvertently should never have been the case. Yep. I don't so know. So these side yeah. effects could be related to all that. That's all I'm saying. You know, there's clear mechanistic pathways there. Absolutely. And no, I'm not saying anything strange. It's just clear. That's why it would, that's why it would be. No. So I'm sure they're finding things like that too, by the way. 
Dr. Yeah. Yehuda Schoenfeld wrote a book about this um, about 10 years ago. It's a textbook about Asia, which is, mm -hmm. gosh, I can never remember what the um, anagram stands for, acquired something, uh, autoimmunity from vaccination. And yeah, so this really? mechanism. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. well, that would, that could, the same thing could be happening there. You know? Absolutely. But, absolutely. Yeah, but that would, well, if that's happening, these expression vectors, I, they're, they're new. I'm not sure whether the expression vectors were around 20 years ago, were they? I don't think they weren't, but it's it's the, the ingredients of vaccines, many of them, are, which are able to actually get the viruses and the bacteria from the vaccine into the cell. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, they okay. are able yeah. to then um, yeah, yeah. affect the body and, and also causing some of them are so similar to our like the lipids. Um, there are other mm. vaccines with lipids in them, and there are some that are analogous to um, the myelin, for instance. So people end yeah. up with myelin basic protein allergies and all of these things. So um, this the yeah. use of the lipid nanoparticles is new. The use of many of the ingredients yeah. in the vaccine but is all new. Of that stuff is it's totally untested. Look, just with the first hints, the first hints of some of these severe adverse effects, which we all know about and read about, if they would have brought it to a halt, it wouldn't have, it have never got off the ground under normal times with no. FDA. It would have stopped. As Peter McCullough says, it would, you know, his his uh, his testimonies now in his public lectures and uh, are absolutely devastating. He's really on top of that data, and he can't. He's not making that up. He, if you look at one of his presentations, he's always presenting the, the published paper on which it's backed. He's, everything's backed up. And and yes. and he's at the front line. He's watching this un, 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 unfold. So, and as he said, he was on that board that approves these things. And he said we would never have approved this in normal normal. Just yeah. too dangerous. Yet it's, it was yeah, yes, but it was approved. But um, but look, can I just make one other point about the vaccines? There are a couple of other vaccines that they're trying to push on Australia. There's Novavax and there's Nikolai Petrovsky's um, COVID a uh, Covax nineteen. They are they are more traditional vaccines in the sense that they're uh, you know the isolated protein, uh, so that has a less of a problem with uh, you know concentrating the message and then producing it at a high rate in the body of strange places. So, secondly, the adjuvants they use well, I certainly know in Nikolai's case the adjuvant is one that I worked on at John Curtin School, inulin. That's uh, that's you know that's been thoroughly safety tested over the years. So, both those two. Uh, if I was forced, you know, your job or the backs, if I was forced, uh, I'm out of that category now, but if I was forced, I'd say, well, I'd probably have one of them rather than the other. Uh, but they're not, they're not being approved. <laughs> not yet. Well, I think Novavax is, has applied for um, approval, but Dr. I think his name is Richard Fleming. He has actually done a great deal of research into Novavax, and even though it is protein-based, um, he says that in the body it will do very similar things as far as making the body create the spike protein, and the spike protein itself is a toxin. So, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> okay, it's, I know I'm fully aware of that too. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm I, look, I'm not advocating it at all. Mm. I'm just saying I was, I was put in that position, may have knowing the risk of the other. Uh, yeah, it's a terrible position that we're that we're in now with lack of a lot of information not being made public and mm. everything being rushed. Mm. And now we have our prime minister running around the country trying to sell electric cars to everyone when the country is in a traumatic meltdown over COVID. People who think they're double vaxxed are not out of the woods because there's going to be problems with them. But all the victimization going against the, you know, the unvaxxed, I'm unvaccinated, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Yeah. I, you know, it's too dangerous for me at my age. And um, the, 
Um, and everything I know, <laughs> I cannot separate what I know from, <laughs> from it. But to think that they're not addressing it now, they're, they're moving the narrative on to a tote, the destruction out of COVID is not going to be addressed. They're just going to try and paper it over. Well, as long as they continue to print money, they can continue to say that everything is okay. But that's going to have to end fairly soon, or we'll end up like Venezuela or Argentina. Oh, no question. Well, yeah. in a funny sort of way, we're, we're well on the way. Yep. We're well on the way to Venezuela or um, way East Germany was, or yep. Czechoslovakia. I didn't. I only I visited East Germany. No, so only briefly. I could see it by train. I didn't. I never went to East Germany during it, but I went to Czechoslovakia in '79, and it was the most dark, dismal place. The people were totally coward, and the ones looking after us, to scientists, of course, they would have been vetted and franked. And I was certain I was speaking to some agents when I was in a group of other people. There's no question about it. Yeah. But, it, 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 but, but it was terrible. You know, it was just a terrible environment. And, you and know, we are... That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be. If we don't stand yeah. up now. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got to stand yeah. up. Yeah. And, and knowing that the truth as we see it, people have got to... I know not, not everyone's capable of doing it or articulating up. I understand that. Or have enough bravery to do it. I understand that too. Uh, but if we can get a critical mass of people, um, yeah... Yep. Anyway, Thank it's you. wonderful that I can speak to you about this in such an open manner. Thank you. And, yeah. and it's amazing to be able to speak with you too, because as I said, I don't get to speak with immunologists or microbiologists very often. So yeah. um, it's it's absolutely a privilege to speak with you. Um, yeah. I We're coming to the end of the show, though. I can see that I'll probably want to speak with you again in the future. Um, yeah. Before we finish up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is important to well, well to for air? me, yeah, for me, the origin spread of COVID nineteen has been my major focus. It just turns out I also happen to know a lot about the vaccines, and I also know, you know, I just happen to know it. And the reason, that, and with all my experience, uh, so we've been we've been tracking the origin and spread of COVID nineteen. Now, in the material I've sent you, I've sent you a couple of recent interviews. One's a standard lecture, which was directed by a producer in Los Angeles who directed it on Zoom uh, to a cameraman here, here in my little flat. And uh, then um, the other two were Asia-Pacific Asia TV. And I go into, in those and the papers, I go into grave all the evidence we've marshaled over the last 20 months showing that all the evidence fits this, this scenario. So I'll just be didactic about it. I'll just be ped pedagogical. Um, a meteorite arrived over Jilin in North China on the night of the 11th of October last year. There was a large fireball in the stratosphere above Jilin. Well documented, it's on space.com. Now we didn't, we didn't know that till several months later because it was in mid-January, we were looking at what was unfolding and the mayhem unfolding in China yeah. and Wuhan in particular. We knew we were dealing with a meteorite infall from a carbonaceous meteorite of some form that had delivered live virus from space. Now, I immediately know that I'm, I'm going to lose a lot of people right at the point, how come it's coming from space? The, you know, look, we deal with it in great length. In my video lectures, I deal with it in great length. The, the short answer is, and I have to be pedagogical here, that the universe is literally teeming with life. All the comets have, most of them have this sort of living material in them. And it's just, to, and, and, and it really remains to be tested what, what nasty thing comes in that can grow in human beings. Most of the time they don't grow in human beings, but this one did. 
and it hit China. 1.5 billion people. We've got targets all over the country in high density regions all yep. over the country. Now, it it erupted. You have to understand the epidemic in China was just not Wuhan. It erupted at the same time all over China, and we document this in our papers. You can see it in our papers and on the and on the videos. That I'll I've, share I've links seen. to all of that too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. give links to all that. Then, then some of it. So some of it came down immediately and then blanketed China through uh, November, December, and leading to a massive eruption of the epidemic in January, okay? So it was environmental contamination of viral-laden meteorite dust. Now, the rest of it was in the stratosphere, right? Some of it came down, the rest of it. Now, why do we say that? Because the stratosphere being much higher up, that has an, an east-west cycle. And it was being cycled around the globe every three days on that on that east-west band, this huge viral cloud of, and it was descending and then dropping down depending on region, quite capriciously in different regions. But I want to take your mind back to uh, late February, March last year, just about the stratosphere bombing. So it was like a bombing run. Remember, Tehran went up, then Lombardy in Italy, yep. then Spain. Then went a week or two, New York City. Do you remember that sequence? It was very distinct. We do, because we've documented it. It's in our papers. All, others are, all other regions above and below the 40 degree north parallel line were not, were not igniting with epidemics. It was just on that line in those first few months. So we've analysed those first few months very, very carefully, genetically and epidemiologically and every other way, because that's, that's the key to understanding what happened, right? So that's how it got distributed initially. The dust came down and was brought down, say, through the high mountains in Tehran, into in, in Iran, to Tehran, high mountains, the Alps in Europe, into Lombardy and Italy, in yeah. Lombardy Valley, Spain, probably because of the mountains in you know the Pyrenees, bringing it down, and then it went across the Atlantic, and New York is not a mountainous area, but it was the first would have been the first major population point of call for the bombing. And that's what happened. Now we published a paper a week or two before it struck New York, predicting that New York was going to get hit. We published right, it. Right. It's on our record. Now, <clears throat> so that's what happened with the distribution around the globe. Now, since then it's diffused to the Southern Hemisphere and all the way through other prevailing wind systems. But the other event that took place in that first month after China was this. Through February, remember those reports of cruise ships in the South yeah. China Sea? Remember there yeah. was the... Diamond Princess, there was uh, Westerdam. They were suddenly coming down with COVID. There also reports a bit of, you know, parts of South Korea and Japan were not as big as China, but you know, why was that? Then at the, in, towards the end of February, remember this, Grand Princess cruise ship off the coast of San Francisco suddenly came down with COVID. Do you remember that? Mike Pence was put in charge of doing all the testing on that ship. They isolated the ship. They parked it south of San Francisco and tested everybody. Now, that was the first and last time they ever released vital information to us because they actually tested and, and produced these genomic sequences and put them on NCBI virus, which I got. I got them all. The sequence of that strike on the Grand Princess off San Francisco was the same as what hit Wuhan. Same sequence. How did it get there? Now, you could say jet travel and all that. Look, people always use jet travel, but look, jet travel was restricted during that period and it went to define reason. It's, this is a fact. The Grand Princess went down with it. Now, our prediction is that the Diamond Princess and the Western Dam would have had the same genomes if, if they were isolated. 
But they didn't release it. They didn't test it. Uh, Well, well, there's a lot of stuff they didn't release. Remember, ships were impounded and a lot of governments were clamping down. I do. I know someone who was on one of them. Yeah, I I know. And, of course, they're floating Petri dishes because they're the elderly co-morphans that are on those ships. You see the problem? That's why they were so dramatic. And that was all the dramatic footage in Wuhan, too. It was the elderly that were dying in Wuhan. But, look, we've documented all this thoroughly and we've other sh- strikes on ships at sea we've documented isolated regions I just I'll just give you snippets of the data we've reviewed um, there's a, a military base from the Chile Chilean army in Antarctica 2,000 kilometers from civilization in Antarctica <clears throat> in late December 2020 the whole base and the ship in the bay all went down with COVID at the same time in Antarctica in Antarctica. Wow. It's in the news. It's documented. You know, we give all the links. It's all documented. It wasn't publicised in Australia. They never they never wanted to talk about it. No. We got no. this through all my network of contacts around the world, pointing to the news articles in the New York Times or other. It's in New York Times reported, but not the Australian media. Now, um, the... Oh, the ABC did. They did. They picked up the New York... And they, that sort of just died. Probably because a lot of people don't trust the ABC anymore. <laughs> the point is, they did report it. <laughs> they did report it. But the other one, which is really important for us, is one of our co-authors, and he's now been a co-author of a number of papers. This is a graphic, a graphic description because you can't understand this virus arriving in any way, other way than from the air. Okay, I'll just just give you a minute. The El Kuwait sheep ship transports live sheep from Fremantle, that's 3,000 at a time, from Fremantle, up uh, across, in a diagonal, across the Indian Ocean to Kuwait or, and, Bo- and Bahrain, okay? And that's where it unloads the sheep because, you yeah. know, they, they, they want live, live sheep. Now, on the trip in April last year, it was coming back in May, empty. It was coming back in empty across the top of the Indian Ocean and then down, sort of contouring the Western Australian coast down to Fremantle. And about a week or two out from Fremantle, the captain noticed some strange, not strange, but he said, look, he took aside the only medically qualified person on the ship, which was the veterinary surgeon who normally looks after sheep. and said, look, some of the crew are, you know, complaining that they're feeling a little bit, little bit lethargic and uh, not that well. And uh, could you have a look at them? And he did. And uh, his name is Dr. Herbert Rebrin. And he looked at them and he diagnosed it as a, some mild cold. And, he said, and like all sensible doctors, when you've got mild cold, where you don't want it to progress to a, you know, pneumonia or a bronchitis, you give antibiotics, even though it doesn't take out the virus. It stops the secondary infection that causes all the collateral damage with those sorts of things. Okay? Well, they recovered within 24 hours or so. They were actually fine. And uh, then they, about a week later, the ship docks at um, Fremantle. Everyone gets COVID tested. Yeah, the paranoid uh, premier, you know, demanded they all got tested. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is what happened. All 23 of the deckhands, Filipino deckhands, were PCR positive. Okay. Well, Rev was just shocked by it. That means everyone was impounded. The whole ship was impounded. They were all impounded. Rev himself was totally free uh, of it. All of the kitchen staff who prepared the food was free of it. All of the officer class, which were um, Croatian, <laughs> who were up in the tower, well above the deck, they were all negative. Just the deckheads. Well, I got, I got Reb. I knew Reb from my days in Western Australia. When I saw this little news report, I, I couldn't believe it was Reb. 
because he was cursing, he was cursing the West Australian Premier for locking them down. He was saying, this is just ridiculous what's happened here. Anyway, I spoke to him and I got, and I got, and I said, look, could you write down your recollections of the events that took place, you know, one or two weeks out? And he did. He gave us a pretty good, some of what I've told you comes from those recollections. Yeah. They all got it, the first point was they all got it at the same time. There was no sort of one sniffle here and then suddenly spreading it within a week. All got it at the same time. That was the first thing. They're all the deckhands. Now the the theory was emerging. Oh, it must have been the food they bought on on Bahrain. You know the bananas and all the other stuff. They loaded it on. But you know we're talking about you know a month later, the thing igniting. Yeah. And you'd expect you'd expect if that was the food, you'd expect the the people preparing the food to get it, wouldn't you? But they were all negative. They didn't get it. And he said, Ted, on the deck at Bahrain, on the outer surface of, of they were all wrapped up in plastic. It was very hot. <laughs> Nothing could have survived. A virus certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have survived that. It wouldn't no, because we know that right. we know that COVID you know disintegrates when the when the temperature gets high. So the point I'm trying to make is that was a strike. That was a strike of a COVID a viral Latin a COVID cloud from the from the atmosphere or into the the sea, and then the sea spray throwing it up onto the ship, and the you know the ship being. Uh, Travelled through that uh, contaminated zone. The point is, it was a strike from the troposphere, that is the atmosphere. It's very interesting. It's a very graphic. To reading that. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. that's what I've been working on. And of course, we've now analysed Victoria thoroughly from that perspective. And I just want to say this: that all of these mystery cases they're getting in Victoria, all these quarantine escapes, they're all their explanations are all nonsense, complete nonsense. Yeah. And we've analysed, we've stripped it down in great detail. It's all nonsense. They, their explanations do not hold up, don't, do not fit the data. And the mystery cases are important because when it comes in from the air and you're igniting a, a local epidemic, it contaminates the environment and people are picking up the virus by rubbing up against their environment. They're not getting it from another person initially. And that mystery case is a genuine ab initio or initial infection. It's just happening. Now, they might spread it to their partner and probably a few close workmates, but yep. then it stops. If it gets into a nursing home, however, with elderly people, oh, it's more dangerous because it will replicate. Now, the point is, you see, that infection model is very different from what we're being told, that it escaped from the hotel or limousine drivers or people driving the taxis, spreading it around the state. That yeah. was nonsense. None of that's true. If you look at the data, that's just not true. No, I know. Enough. In 2020 in Victoria, I think it was over 90% of the deaths were in nursing homes. Absolutely. So, so it doesn't make so, any anyway, sense. Anyway, so that's what yeah. I'm involved See, now, how did I get from reverse transcription to that? Well, it just turns out that the deaminases, which we work on in the reverse, the reverse transcription mutation model, the deaminases attack the virus. When you get infected with COVID, your, your body's own deaminases is part of these antiviral. They're, they're trying to mutate the virus. That's what we got involved in initially. We just, because we, we can understand the genetics of it yeah. by that model. So, so everything that I've done links into everything else. It's not as if I'm just doing this haphazardly out of uh, nowhere. And because you gave me that description and explanation, you've raised another question in my mind. So even though I said we're out of time, I do want to ask this one question. Can you see any point in giving this vaccine to people who've already recovered from COVID? Because you talked about them locking down the ship. These are all people who've been exposed and recovered. Can you see any point in giving a vaccine no, to those people? No, no, all of that, we publish this too. This is in our papers too. Mm. We've actually tracked what happened in the Northern Hemisphere infected zones, because that's where we have reliable data with lots of epidemics, not Australia. Australia's hard to get any. But in those zones, in Europe and the United States, 
we've, we've tracked it through the year and into this year and tracked the metric, one simple metric, COVID-associated death. Okay, I know that's mixed in with by and with COVID, but at least it's one metric you can, you can use. Yep. And we've tracked from the inception of the first epidemics observed in a given region right through and mapped on that, mapped on that when the vaccine program rolled out and the extent of it. The pandemic was over. You've got to, now, no one wants to hear this. It was over in the Northern Hemisphere before the vaccine rollout began yeah. and was still going down even when the vaccine rollout was only, say, 1, 5, 10% of the population. It hit the bottom. Now, why, why was that? Because, you see, in countries like Denmark, where they've got the best data, by the way, that was the most best longitudinal data, they clearly got herd immunity developing from those first epidemics. And it was protecting all, all subsequent infalls all, you know, the cases might have looked tight, but they were all mild. They were all asymptomatic or of the type I described before. They, they, yeah. they were positive for other reasons, not, nothing to do with the, physio, you know, the pathology. Anyway, um, it's clear that herd immunity is the most effective form of immunity this virus because it activates the oronasal secretory IgA mechanism. See, I yeah. come back to that. That's how it gets activated. And, uh, and therefore, you expect the immunity to be based on that process and it is so vaccines totally pointless look now one final thing everywhere they've looked in the last five or six months on any correlation between vaccination rate and levels of COVID there's no correlation anywhere in the world so when they're publishing newspaper headlines saying the vaccine's working and bring it down that's nonsense pure nonsense it's not happening no in fact there have been um, plenty of studies including our world in data that show very the opposite, that that the higher the vaccination rate, the higher the rate of cases, which I don't believe. And that may be general is adverse yeah. effects. Yeah. It's very Thank possible, you. very possible. Yes. All yes. right, yes. Dr. Steele, Thank it's you. been such a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate you giving me this time. And um, yeah, it's incredibly interesting. And I'm looking forward to reading the information that you're sending through as well. Yeah, well, it actually takes a bit of while. It probably takes an hour and a half sitting down to watch the videos and then then choosing the papers you want to read. But uh, the point is that, uh, you know, we covered everything, by the way. I, I mustn't, I'm not being arrogant. And I, we literally covered every phase of this pandemic right from the day one. Right from okay. the day one. Brilliant. But we're not on top of everything, you know. Experts on vaccine adverse effects, I'll leave that to Peter McCullough or Dolores Kale or, you know. Uh, there's plenty of experts. Jessica, right? There, there's there's plenty of experts. Yeah. That I agree with their analysis, but on the broad sweep of what happened and the efficacy of the vaccine, that's what we've been working on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work and congratulations again on getting that article published. So yeah, thank you very much. All much right. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care.